0: Welcome to episode 10 of the Almorton Takeout. In these podcasts, I take a satirical look at news and politics. I also like to explore the cultural differences between the UK and Spain from the perspective of a migrant Brit with 18 years on the Iberian coast, There will be amusing anecdotes from my time as a professional guitarist and sound engineer. What could be interesting about that, I hear you ask? Well, there was that one time when Pink Floyd's production manager called me up only to find himself talking to my 75-year-old grandmother or that jazz gig in Jersey where Nigel Kennedy, of virtuoso Four Seasons fame, patiently explained to me as I had mistaken him for one of the crew, that he was going to be doing the sound check for the violin because he also played the instrument a little. More about that in upcoming episodes. Before I go any further, I'd just like to remind listeners that a full transcript is available from Almorton.com forward slash takeout. And I would also like to extend my thanks to the people at feedspot.com who've added this show to their list of top sixty political podcasts. Actually, I'm currently ranked at number 62, even lower than The Nigel Farage Show, and I don't know if you can get much lower than that. But I hear they also have a top 80, so there's still hope. No, seriously, Feedspot is an excellent resource, and I've discovered all sorts of interesting podcasts through their listings, so why not give them a go? Leave a review if you like this material, or even if you don't, and want to remove the scourge of the Almorton takeout from the internet forever. <laughs> so let's get started with this trouser ripping, knee trembling Matt Hancock of an episode as we explore once again how badly you have to fail for the Prime Minister to actually fire you. We all listened to Johnson on the Friday telling the world he accepted Matt Hancock's apology and that he stood full square behind him. The matter was closed. But what was Matt Hancock apologising for? Not for lying, or his ring of death around care homes, not for corruption over PPE, or general incompetence, or for being a tax-swindling adulterous cheat – no, none of that, perish the thought. It was for his infringement of social distancing rules – let that sink in for a moment. After being caught on camera, kissing and grabbing the bottom of his taxpayer-funded aide, Gina Coladangelo, we were told that it was not a resigning matter. When the news broke, he did at least do the decent thing and called his wife up to say that he would be moving out, but we'd be getting on with the important job of saving lives with the vaccine rollout. What a guy. Despite the Prime Minister refusing to fire him, and allowing the minister to resign with his £81,000 salary intact. The following Monday, he was trying to take credit for firing him anyway. Clearly, a more decisive leadership was called for. The type of leadership you would expect from a true supervillain. A proper dismissal, one from which there could be no return to public public office. This had me wondering, what would happen if Johnson was allowed to play the part of the Persian cat-stroking Ernst Blofeld in the scene from the 1967 James Bond film. Perhaps it would be called You Only Lie Twice. Would he still feed his political allies to the piranhas? Let's find out. We join the Prime Minister, deep in his secret volcano lair, somewhere underneath Westminster. He has summoned his two best operatives, Matt Hancock and Pretty Patel, after unexpectedly losing the Amersham and Chesham by-election. Not to mention their failure to bring football home for the Tory party. For those of you too young to remember the film, let me set the scene. We are introduced to the destructive power of the Piranha by one of Johnson's henchmen, who throws a leg of beef into the pond from a precarious arched bridge the same bridge must be crossed in order to report to the evil dictator. you can probably see my piranha are pretty damned hungry. No taxpayer subsidized lunches for these little blighters. Not until later on, hey Matty? Did you know that they can strip a publicly owned corporate body to the bone in under 30 days? I have to say, Sushi Sunak has got them really well trained. Now look, I understand that the leader of the opposition was in your office yesterday. Good grief, man. If that was the case, why is he still able to bang on about me being the cause of the Johnson variant? Don't worry, Prime Minister. Sir Keir Starmer is absolutely finished. I give you my word. Yes, it was in all of them newspapers. Absolute boulder dash. Starmer is still active. The only thing I see in all those newspapers... Was your aide's ample ass being fondled by you, Matty? Now do tell. Did you dispose of Starmer or not? Don't say you let him go. I gave the Elf Secretary the strictest orders to eliminate him and private the NHS. And did he? No, Prime Minister, he didn't. And he let Italy beat England at the footy. Oh, whatever next. Thanks to you two. I've had to cancel the reception for the England team at number 10. I can't be having that bunch of losers around making the place untidy and scoffing all our sausage rolls. I know, Prime Minister, but you see, I don't think they want to come over anyway. Something about telling the fans it was okay to boo when he was taking the knee. I told them we don't do gesture politics. Anyway, they should focus on their footballing instead of telling their superiors how to run the country. Oh, tell me about it. Tory football supporters are so bloody thick. They boo anything. Believe it or not, they've even booed me from time to time. Once, I was trying to level up an NHS hospital with one of Lord Bamford's JCBs. And they started throwing things. Have you ever driven one of those, by the way? They're bloody brilliant. Anyway, that's enough chit-chat. Um... Just before you go, I just wanted to remind you that the organisation does not tolerate failure. Now go away and think about what you've done. Matty, I want you to stay behind and feed the fish. Now be off with you. Not you, Romeo, obviously. The scene ends as Patel takes her leave and hurriedly crosses the arched bridge over Johnson's Piranha Pond. A nervous Matt Hancock, suspecting that something is afoot, decides to make his way to cross the Bridge of Freedom. The camera pans to Johnson's foot on a pedal. He presses it firmly, probably the most decisive thing he has ever done in his entire life. The bridge collapses and Hancock falls into the water to be eaten alive by piranhas. Suddenly Pretty Patel stops in her tracks. She turns and looks back at Matt Hancock's fate smirking. And that is how you fire a cabinet minister, in the manner of a Bond supervillain. And I do think that piranhas get a bit of a bad press, as it is only the red-bellied species that are known to attack humans, and I'm not talking about the kind you find oafing about on the beaches of Benidorm. Even in those rare cases, it is generally just a nip or a bite, but in true Johnson and Bond tradition, we're not going to let a few facts get in the way of a good yarn, are we? <laughs> Around this time I generally like to share a few comments from that great well of human truth Twitter. say that social media as a whole has been quite angry the last few weeks. When isn't it? But most of the rage seems to be divided between the overt racism towards England's footballers and Prime Minister Johnson's Freedom Day, where the virus is going to be allowed to let rip in the community unhindered by any legally enforceable mask wearing or social distancing. There have been of course those pictures of football hooligans, one with his trousers down and a lit flare stuck between the cheeks of his buttocks, or one particular drunk, who was having such a good time, he stripped off, climbed on a car, and started waving his appendage around. It was really only visible on close-ups, but his girlfriend must be incredibly proud. So given the grave state of the nation, what have they been chatting about on Twitter? I may have to cut this section out. Anyway, another far-right bad boy of Twitter is Mr Nigel Farage, who triggered wild speculation after he tweeted, At 5pm today, I will be making an announcement about a big career change. Watch this space. And as ever, the real humour is in the replies, although I've had to tone some of them down a bit. Lindy Williams thought he may now be a fruit picker, as opposed to just a plain fruitcake. Well, I'm told that Mr Kipling does make exceedingly nice fruitcakes. Sloth underscore Bristol thought that his tweet may have contained a typo, and instead of a career, he meant carer. Hopefully the new one will be able to keep a better eye on him. Yvonne Burdett suggested, It could be Michael Gove's new wife. Oh, my eyes! Mark Brack simply says, Big Mac, large fries and a vanilla milkshake, please. Would that be to go, sir? 99 Red Baboons said, Let's hope it's something really dangerous and secret, so this will be the last tweet. Bill Bates suggested, It could be washing balls at Mar-a-Lago. Nigel Wall reminded us that there is a post going as Brexit benefits advisor. I imagine it involves chasing unicorns on sunlit uplands, but I hear the pay's quite good. Paul Wall, 1970, posted what appears to be a salacious meme from an outfit called ham station. I couldn't possibly describe it, except to say that there is a character who looks a little like our Nige, sat on a pink satin bed, with his legs apart, wearing shorts. There is an 0908 telephone number underneath which says call me, naughty Nigel for a hard, hard, hard Brexit. Oh lordy. (laughs) This is not the BBC, best before Brexit Corporation. We interrupt this podcast to bring you breaking news: GB News, the new right-wing TV channel launched by Andrew Neil of the Times. Spain recorded zero viewers after subscribers boycotted the channel for allegedly not being sufficiently racist. The channel claims to pride itself on being a platform for free speech, but when one of its guests took the knee in solidarity with the England football team, the controllers decided that free speech was okay, but some varieties of free speech were more equal than others. Presenter Guto Hari broke their rules by expressing his free speech, and something about four legs good, Two legs bad, said guest spokesman, Mr George Orwell, who had come back from the dead to haunt them all. (laughs) Of course, one of the most important aspects of our newfound freedom from the scurrilous EU is that we're now free to make trade agreements with our international neighbours such as the US and Australia. These continents are only a couple of dozen light years away from the EU mainland, relatively speaking. The trouble is, nobody seems to have let a certain call centre know that Britain is now open for business, and that includes space. I mean, you can't get more spacey than Richard Branson, of Virgin Galactic those trains that never seem to arrive on time. But he will sell you a first-class ticket to outer space, providing you've got a million or so lying around in your bank account. And whilst I may have signed a petition to prevent him from returning to Earth after his last extraterrestrial sortie, I hear they're talking about nothing else down at the food bank. He is, in fact, a national treasure, but perhaps the sort that should be left at the... PC World's technical support, Roger speaking. How may I help you today? Hi, I'm Fred Green, Chief Scientist at JPL in Pasadena, California. I'm certainly hoping that you can help me, sir. We're having a spot of bother with one of these here motherboards installed on a robotic device. Could you give me the model and serial part number, please? Roger that. It's I for Ingenuity, XPL for Lemon, 137 Z, M-A-R-S forward slash lander, Z63. Thank you. Uh... Bear with me a moment, I just need to verify that. Ah, oh, jeez Arnie, can you believe that? They put me on hold. Nope, I'm sorry. We don't recognise that part number. What date and which store was it purchased in? Also, what appears to be the problem? Well, I was rather hoping that you'd be able to tell me that, sir. It was purchased online from the website. And the problem is that we're having trouble downloading and processing the images from the unit. Okay, before we go any further, have you tried switching it off and on again? Shucks, man. I'm guessing that's why they pay you guys the big bucks. Of course we have. The trouble is it takes so darn long as we have to do it remotely. What? Why do you have to do that? Well, it is about 33.9 million miles away. You can't be serious. Yes, sir The Ingenuity helicopter is currently located on Mars. It takes quite a while to get the signal to it. Honestly, I'm gonna stop you right there. I think this is some kind of a windup. We have never provided components to NASA. And as far as I know, most of our stuff is manufactured in China. So it's highly unlikely there would be any UK parts in a US built remote control robot on Mars. Well, you will say that, but your Boris Johnson started selling stuff to NASA years ago. Something about Brexit. Look, ingenuity has one UK part, and not to put too fine a point on it, it ain't cutting it at the risk of sounding like your Monty Pythons. It's deader than a dead thing. It shuffled off its mortal coil. Ship, man, it's f- snuffed it. I would add that you guys built the mirrors for the Hubble Space Telescope. Am I right? No, um, not PC Worlds. I think that was the, um, BAE Systems on the next trading block. Yippee, Kaya! That was one doozy of a cock up. We had to fix that mother after deployment. And secondly, have you tried getting anything out of Silicon Valley lately, what with the pandemic and all? I'm very sorry, but on this occasion, I don't think we're going to be able to help. It's a matter that should be handled at a local level. Y'all can't be serious, man. This is PC Worlds, right? For y'all information, there is a world. It just happens to be called Mars. You know, like the fourth rock from the sun. And I'm calling because, hello, Houston, we got us a problem. Specifically with one of your Limey Numbnuts components. May I remind you that this conversation is being recorded. God damn it. Well, I hope you're going to have more luck downloading and playing it back than we're having with one of your goddamn motherboards. I'll be having a word with Biden about this. Y'all can be sure of that. And good luck with your US trade agreements. I think he might have mentioned Brexit, but we may have got away with it. You are listening to episode 10 of the Almorton Takeout. You join us as we celebrate UK Freedom Day, a day in which we cheer on the abandonment of masks and social distance rules so that a deadly mutant virus can circulate amongst us. Spare a thought for the British Prime Minister and the Health Secretary, both of whom will be forced to celebrate this day in self-isolation as the UK ranks number two for the most new infections in the world. At last, we can truly claim to be world-beating. Of course, Johnson will be isolating in checkers, and if I'm honest, it is his staff that I feel sorry for. Oh Al, you're such a woke-tard. We can't go on being locked down forever. This is something I hear quite a bit. But take a look at New Zealand, another island nation with a not dissimilar population. I believe they haven't had any new infections for over three months. And I can't help wondering, what is it that they're doing so right that the UK is doing so wrong? Could it be that they've actually taken back control of their borders? One of the most infuriating aspects of this pandemic, as it has been named after the world's most expensive app, woke up and started pinging just about everybody. Is that once again NHS staff are being asked to sacrifice themselves and continue to work even if the app has pinged them to isolate? Wow, that really makes a lot of sense. But having run down staff levels to such an extent the chaos will help with parceling up the NHS for privatisation. Staff are once again being asked to put their lives and their patients at risk so that rich Tory donors can make yet more money when the cake is finally sold off. (laughs) I think I need to change the mood a little bit. So around about this time one of the things that I like to talk about are the differences between British and Spanish culture For most of my life I played the guitar It was not long after arriving on these shores that I had a few gigs which included a midweek residency in a local steak bar I know a vegetarian playing in a steak bar look don't judge me during the long summer months, I would play outside in the street. I think the idea was to attract customers, although I started to become suspicious when the bar changed the locks. Now they didn't do that really. <laughs> anyway, I digress. At the entrance to this fine establishment, there was a life-size plastic cow, because unlike Brits, many Spaniards like to be reminded of where their meat actually comes from. I always felt a little uncomfortable next to this magnificent plastic beast, but after a while I got used to it. People would wander past steadfastly ignoring me and my brilliant guitar work, but they would always notice that damned cow. Often, young, attractive women would look over my way and then suddenly notice the enormous bovine prop and then slap it on the ass as they walked past to buy an ice cream next door. I was starting to feel irrelevant and perhaps a little unloved. During the cooler winter months, I would play inside. I've already talked about the time the Luthier, Juan Kashimira, who made my guitar, came to hear me play at Vaca's. If you're interested in hearing the gory details, it is at the end of episode 3 of these podcasts, recorded June 20, 2020. The title is The Cult of Celebrity. To cut a long story short... At the end of the performance, he expressed his disappointment with the sound of his guitar in the hands of, well, me really. <laughs> oh dear, this had me working harder than ever to improve my technique and engage with my audience. And that reminds me of the one of the main cultural differences between Spaniards and us Brits, is that if you ask them, for example, what do they think of your guitar playing, more often than not, they will tell you exactly what they think of it. And At first, it's a little hard to get used to, because British people are always a little bit, well, they like to be polite, they don't want to cause offence. And Spaniards just think, well, you asked a question, I'm going to give you an answer. And sometimes you don't want to hear it. There is a kind of refreshing honesty about it, though, isn't there? I'll give you another example. Uh, a while ago, I played... Well, this is going way back. I played at the inauguration of a hairdressing salon up in the valleys. Uh, I'm not talking about the Welsh valleys. <laughs> the uh, Halon Valley. And I don't know if you know this, but hairdressing is quite big business in Spain. It's uh, It's very important to get your hair fixed regularly. And she'd opened this new salon in the High Street and held a little street party. And again, it, it seemed to go okay. It was it was quite low-key. And at the end of the evening, she came over and she thanked me for playing. And I said, you know, what did you think of the music? And she said, hmm, yes, it was quite tranquil, wasn't it? <laughs> she had she was expecting some kind of flamenco troupe or something. But, you know, if you ask somebody in Spain, uh, how are they, or what did you think of this, they tell you, and I quite like that really. <laughs> that was a nice little diversion, wasn't it? Although it had nothing to do with the story I'm trying to tell you. After Juan's disappointment, I had a new mission, and that was to engage more with my audience. Whilst the term audience may be putting it a little bit strong, the patrons of said establishment leaned towards a small, motley collection of misfits, lonely and bored widows, or wealthy, corpulent retirees that lack the ability or interest in cooking. There would be no point in trying to reach out to this crowd, but I held out hope for two very British little old ladies that would totter in every day around the same time. One of them wore a blue hat, which never seemed to leave her head, and I used to wonder if she slept in it or wore it in the shower. They would always sit at a table right in front of me and would order a pot of tea with cake. I would smile benignly in their direction and then play tea for two. I did this every day for weeks on end and as my frustration built at the lack of engagement, so did their disinterest. They would chatter and laugh loudly whilst occupying the best seats in the house, and then when the tea had been downed and the last crumbs of cake was snaffled up, they would get up and walk straight out without even looking back. Sometimes I would repeat the tune in different styles, such as in the style of Pachydilithea or B.B. King, and even one time, ACDC, nothing. Then one fine day, the restaurant closed, and I was back on the street, only this time without a giant plastic cow for company. I still see Blue Hat and a friend about in the streets of my local town. These days, she has a walking frame, whilst her friend has a trolley which she holds onto in order to steady her passage through the mean streets of our Hispanic seaside fishing village. I sometimes smile and wave, but to this day, nothing, not a word, not a dicky bird, nada. And I'm left with the sinking realisation that there's only one thing worse than being criticised by the artisan who made your custom guitar. And that is being completely and utterly ignored by the blue-hatted mistress of the English tea ceremony. As ever, I'm going to leave the last word on cultural differences to my great friend Mike Britton... It was in response to a Facebook post in which a British pie manufacturer had posted an image of one of their pies with rather green looking chips and mushy peas. I quote, British cuisine with its lack of sauces and flavours is truly disgusting. I'm so grateful that travel educated me to despise Saxonic buckets of goo. Well, Mr. (laughs) Britton, I've heard that Mr. Kipling bakes exceedingly good buckets of Saxonic goo. No, really, you've got to admit, he's got a bit of a point. Oh, please. In my case, give me a paella. I'm so Spanish. (laughs) It's pronounced paella, by the way. No, really, Ask my wife, she's always telling me. Right, it's time for another music business anecdote. At the start, I mentioned how Pink Floyd's production manager ended up being interrogated by my grandmother. But before we move on to this, I wanted to remind listeners that full details of the show, including music credits, can be found on my website, almorton.com. If you haven't swung by yet, why not pay us a visit The site is completely free of commercials, as I hope are these podcasts. I would especially love it if you could join the mailing list so that I can keep you appraised of new recordings and articles. After years of playing the European music circuit, it dawned on me that I would have more chance of becoming a pop star if I returned to the UK. The plan was to set up a concert sound company. Whilst I waited for the British record industry to come to its senses, and sign my band for millions. I know, it was a bit naive, and also my band at the time were a bit crap. (laughs) Setting up a sound company involves a lot of wheeling and dealing, with other organisations, including Britannia Row Productions, who at the time were connected to Pink Floyd. They may still be, I don't know. It was quite a long time ago. In setting up my own business, I bought part of a shipping container of JBL loudspeakers and high-frequency compression drivers. We call them compression drivers, but they're more like the tweeters on your domestic hi-fi, only massively bigger. At the time, there was a world shortage of bauxite, a material used to make the magnets of these speakers, and I'd unknowingly bought the last batch of the precious from a US dealer friend. Pink Floyd were due to start a new European tour which included dates at Wembley but they needed more of these vital components. The importer gave their production manager my telephone number and told him that maybe I could make up the shortfall. I should preface this story by saying that my gran didn't have any idea about who or what Pink Floyd were and I may have taken some artistic liberties with the telling. By the way, my gran didn't really sound like that. And I hope she forgives me, because it's not intended to be taken seriously. But at the time, well, Pink Floyd wanted to speak to me. Just wow! I could think of nothing more significant for a young sound engineer hoping to hit the big time. But my dreams were about to hit the buffers. Hello, Bishopston four three two one zero. Morton Residence, Elizabeth speaking. Oh no, I'm sorry, he's not available right now. Maybe, maybe I can help? I beg your pardon? What on earth are you talking about? Compression, what? Are you something to do with a plumber? I've already called him twice about the leaking downstairs lavatory. You're not Porcock's assistant, are you? At this point, I should explain that my grandmother had a habit of giving everyone a memorable name. Borcock, as he became known, was a regular visitor to the Victorian plumbing installations of our home, which coincidentally served as the temporary headquarters of my sound engineering empire. He would frequently bill for changing the float valve in the cast iron lavatory systems. I've got some bad news, Mrs. Morton. Your bowlcock's got a hole in it. Gert Biggin, by the looks of it. We get quite a lot of this in this aerial. He was a bit of a wide boy, to be honest, and his repair, more often than not, would involve plugging the hole in the float with a piece of chewing gum. Anyway, back to the stunning climax of this apocryphal tale. I was in the basement trying to put out a small fire in an amplifier that I had unsuccessfully repaired. I was catching snippets of a rather boring conversation taking place in the hallway above. Oh no! Now look, Mr Floyd, or whatever your name is, I am terribly sorry, but he cannot come to the phone right now. What do you mean, why not? I've just told you. No, no. I'm sorry, but if you're not Borcock's assistant, I don't see how my grandson is going to be of any use. Besides, I've already explained, he's indisposed. He's about to have his din-dins. At this point, I run up the stairs and stick my head around the door whilst trying to waft smoke away from the smoke detector. I spot my grandmother hanging up the phone. Everything all right, Gran? Who was that you were talking to? It was somebody called Mike Lowe, but I thought it was Mr. Floyd from the Plumber's Merchants, calling you about a pink replacement ballcock. <laughs> Shall I get that, dear, oh, dear? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> So that's it from me for now, I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you can find time to subscribe for more. As always you can read further details including a full transcript and credits on almorton.com forward slash takeout. Written, produced and performed by Al Morton. (laughs) Stay with us for a taster of what's coming up in episode 11, What Time Is The Midnight Buffet? We will never know the actual details of our foreign secretary's Greek odyssey, but in my imagined telling of the story... It may have started on a sun lounger near Crete. Our hero has sent a dispatch rider to collect the takeout. Hello. Oh, it's you again. No, I just want the regular topping. What do you mean, they haven't got any pineapple? I don't give a monkey's. Just tell them to find some. How can you call it a big fat Greek Hawaiian bastard burger if there's no ruddy pineapple? Surely it's the main ingredient. Oh, sod it. Just get your ass back here, assap. The ice is melting on my margarita. Hello, is that you, Rob? Oh, thank goodness. Maximus Nautius, uh, I mean, uh, Prime Minister. Just the man I was hoping to speak to. Yes, your secretary told me that you were up to your neck in it. Yes, well, I would be up to my neck in it, but the ruddy sea's closed. Would you believe it? Look, I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind if I stayed on for a couple more days? Pretty please? Tied up with bows and knobs on? Well, you do deserve a well-earned rest. Shut up, Dylan. Pardon? No, not you, rap, I was talking to the ready dog. Whilst I've got you on the line. Is it true that the picture of Her Majesty, you know, the one that you promised to remove from our embassy in Kabul, now shows her as sporting a rather prominent d*** with graffiti underneath, which apparently translates as my Johnson. Yes, well, that's right, Prime Minister, but I've already apologised for that. I am sure that there are some promising candidates for the new, not-so-challenging HGV test, but I suspect that some of them may be a little more borderline. This dashboard recording was smuggled out by one of our ministry's finest inspectors, who now appears to be in full-time therapy. Hello, you're the examiner blokey. I love these new Scania trucks don't you. They've got a decent sized cup holder and everything. Oopsie. Oh, these? Oh that's me lucky fluffy dice. Oh f there isn't a review mirror. Is it ok if I we'll put some music on? Ok, ok, I can see it's not your cup of tea. Anyway, what's your favourite band? I'm really into White Sabbath at the moment. My missus is more your ABBA type, I know, uh, sounds bush better when you shit-faced. <laughs> oh lordy. Our prospective driver, aka Noddy Cupholder, hasn't noticed that the examiner isn't allowed to engage with him in casual conversation, but at this point, his patience is starting to wane. Do you watch Jeremy Clarkson? Oh f*** it, this truck would really get his freak on. OK, let's see what this baby can do. That was a bit close. Don't worry though, we're quite safe here on the pavement. All this and more coming up in episode 11 of The Takeout. What time is the midnight buffet? Catch up with you later. Bye!